Well, I trust that song was the prayer of your heart as you take your Bible and open it with me to our continued study through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Teach us, Lord, full obedience. Wow, that, uh, that ought to be our prayer every day. I trust it is our prayer every day as we think about the Word of God, as we think about the truth that we are allowed and able to engage in and understand by the power of the Spirit living in us, that we can understand the Word of God, we can receive the things from God that He's given us in His Word, and we can apply Him in our lives. Let's just take a moment and once again bow in a word of prayer and ask God to, to use these things in us as we engage in them. Father, we thank You for this morning, this time to be together. Lord, these are precious times. I trust that we, that we really see them that way. These are, these are the most precious days where we can come together as a body, as a unit, as a unified group of people that have professed faith in Jesus Christ. We desire to honor You. And so, Lord, I pray that these words that we hear, these these words that you have given us through your servants would be uh, penetrating upon our lives and used in our lives as the means of grace by which you have given us to change us into Christ-likeness. Lord, help us to live these out for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Of course, we have been studying through the Gospel of Luke. We got to chapter 6 in the Gospel of Luke, and we we hit somewhat of a roadblock and have taken a detour from that gospel just for a time because the words of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27 commands us to love our enemies. To love our enemies. Those who know Jesus Christ, of course, he is in the Sermon on the Mount and he is talking about what kingdom living looks like, what it means to be a Christian. And so we have entitled this whole series, beginning from Luke 6, as what is a Christian. And we hit that point in Luke chapter 6 where Christ says, love our enemies. And we took a detour over here to 1 Corinthians 13 because we need to understand the full reality of what those words mean, what the implications are, what the intent is by Jesus' words, to love our enemies. It is a high and humanly impossible task for those outside of Christ. We sang that song just a moment ago, Teach Us, Lord. Right? That is for the Christian. The words of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 6 are for the Christian, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. It is a a humanly impossible task to love our enemies outside of Christ. But for us who are followers of Christ, for the Christian, it is both doable and possible as we walk by the Spirit. As we walk by the Spirit. Probably the most confused and misrepresented of all the doctrines of Scripture is the doctrine that we have been talking about over the last several weeks. It's the doctrine of love. 
Some might say the doctrine of God is so confused because people don't understand who God is, and surely that would be the case. Some might say it's the doctrine of salvation because you have so many different religions that try to say this is the way to be saved or be right with God, and certainly that is confused. But the doctrine of love, I think, is the most confused and misrepresented. And one of the factors behind that is because many false religions tell you that you can earn your way to heaven by doing things for others. For instance, there are statements like this. Mother Teresa, before her death, said this in her book titled The Simple Path, published in 1995. Trying to help others work their way to righteousness, she said this, quote, We must grow in love, and to do this we must go on loving and loving and giving and giving until it hurts the way Jesus did. Do ordinary things with extraordinary love. Little things like caring for the sick and the homeless, the lonely and the unwanted, washing and cleaning for them. You must give what will cost you something. This then is giving not just what you can live without, but what you can't live without or don't want to live without something you really like. Then your gift becomes a sacrifice. It becomes that which will have value before God. Any sacrifice is useful if it is done out of love. This giving until it hurts, this sacrifice, is also what I call love in action, unquote. So for Mother Teresa, love was an action. We would agree with that. We would say, absolutely, that's in fact exactly what the Apostle Paul shows here in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is an action. It is not a feeling. But it was action by Mother Teresa that supposedly earns your way to righteousness. It is sacrifice that hurts, sacrifice that is personally going against what you might want in order that you might earn favor before God. Well, the Bible is certainly here to tell us that without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, there can be no God-accepting expression of love. In other words, you cannot earn God's favor by expressing some kind of so-called man-made definition of love, even if that man-made love is action. Because the only kind of expression of love that is God-accepting expressions of love is a love that is born out of faith in Jesus Christ. Because God is love. And so, therefore, to love as God is... We must have God in us. We must have the ability to do what God has done. And the only way for that to happen is to have His Spirit in us by faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot have a God-accepting expression of love without Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing to Christians in 1 Corinthians 13. He's not writing to unbelievers. 
is not writing some high principle whereby love can be expressed between those who do not know Jesus Christ and are trying to earn their way into heaven. No, this is to Christians. This is to those who know they have Jesus Christ in their life because of faith. The problem within the Christians or the problem with the Christians in the Corinthian church was that they had a love expression problem. Not that the believer there wasn't equipped to love. They were equipped to love because they knew Jesus Christ, because they had the Spirit of God living in them. They were fully equipped to carry out exactly what God had commanded of them. They simply were not exercising love. In the Gospels, Jesus' response to the Pharisees about what was the greatest commandment, He simply said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And He said the second is like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law of love, and He fulfilled it in every way so that all who would believe on Him might have eternal life. Why? Because His act of love on our behalf secured eternal salvation through His redemptive love. So love has a redemptive value. Love has a redemptive reality to it. At least the love expressed by God to us and therefore our love to others. The very root of all sin is non-redemptive. Why? Because sin is lovelessness. Sin is lovelessness. And even as true Christians, we struggle with lovelessness, don't we? Even as those who know Jesus Christ by faith, we struggle with being loveless. We can be just like the Corinthian believers who were struggling with love. Struggling with living by the principle of love. And so you notice that the Apostle Paul says at the end of, verse, of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. I'll show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is the way of love. And so over the past several weeks, we've been walking our way through this passage. And it has been, to be honest, it has been dissecting us. It has been on the edge of the two-edged sword. It has been cutting down through the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It has been dealing with our own motives. It has been dealing with those things inside that nobody else can see. God has been taking these principles and He has been sawing us in those areas. He has been dealing with us not only here, together in this church, but He has been dealing with us with those in every area of life. Talking about why our motives, why we do what we do, how it is we deal with each other. And if we're honest, much of it has been surgically painful. 
It has been surgically painful for us. Many of you have come to me and said how helpful this has been for your own thinking, for your own living. And all of it has been necessary for us so that we might be in obedience, in practical outworking what we say we are with our words. We've already looked at 11 of the 15 qualities listed here. And you'll be glad to know, this morning I want to finish the last four. Be glad to know that. We're going to do that. I know we have communion this morning. I know. It'll be normal. It'll be just like normal. It won't take four hours. Although we should take four hours, it won't. All right? They're listed for us here in verse 7. Notice what it says. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, if you're like me, you are quick to notice that each one of these seems at least to be saying that it has a comprehensive element attached to it. It says that love bears, that love believes, that love hopes, then love endures all things. All things. Same word in the original language each time. All things. It's the generic reality and neuter word for all. It's all things. You say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've been talking about love. How can that be? How can the Apostle Paul say that that way? Does all things actually mean anything and everything? Does all things mean anything without exception? Aren't there certain things that I'm not to love? The answer to that question is yes, there are certain things that we are not to love. And so the answer to the reality is this anything and everything without exception. The answer to that is no. It is not without exception. It can't possibly mean without exception in the context anything and everything categorically. It can't possibly mean that. And we know that simply because here in the words of the Apostle Paul, even in the previous verse, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices in truth. So all things referred to in verse 7 cannot in any way include unrighteous things. Because love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. If we were to believe or bear or endure or hope in unrighteousness, then we would have to defy what it says in verse 6. So if all things meant universality or everything, then we would be commanded to believe the lies of Satan. There would be a grand contradiction here because love rejoices in truth, but yet right off the next verse it says love believes all things. And if all things means a universal of all things, then we would be contradicting what was just said and going against the very character of God. In fact, this whole passage we would have to throw out and it would spring doubt into anything the Bible says because God would apparently be contradicting himself. 
So God certainly isn't telling us to believe the lies of Satan as if they're truth. All things in verse 7 cannot be a sweeping claim to include anything and everything categorically. So when we read all things, it is to be interpreted with that understanding in our minds. That is simply to say that the meaning of all things has to do with truth in our minds. In other words, we are to think of all things in a way as far as it can within the confines of the truth of God. So all things are confined by that which is within the truth and of the truth of God, that which is consistently and lawfully to be able to be done under God's Word. So we bear, we believe, we hope, and we endure all those kinds of things. That means that there are going to be in our life, we are going to come face to face with offenses. We could use the word sin. We're going to come across issues of sinfulness or unrighteousness for which it is not proper, nor is it right for us as Christians to bear or to believe or to endure or to hope. For example, there are laws in our land that clearly violate the commands of Scripture. We do not believe those things. We do not bear those things. We do not hope and endure those things. In fact, when we are faced with that, we testify to the truth of God, even to the face against those things at times, and even sometimes to our own demise. And in the context of 1 Corinthians, the phrases here are referring really to private matters. So when Paul says, bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, he's really honing it in on personal matters. In other words, things that deal with personal dispositions towards one another. Issues of the heart. Our godlike love towards one another from the heart that we're not to make public or to avenge those faults committed against us in some sinful kind of way. That's what Paul's talking about. And the implications went far and wide in the Corinthian church because they're running to the legal system outside of the church in order to solve their problems with one another, petty issues that are going on. And so Paul ends his description here that he began in verse 4. He ends his description with these four descriptions about what love does. We saw what love is. We saw what love is not. We saw what love does not do. And now we're seeing what love does. This is what love does. And I just want to unearth some of the implications for us as we look at these four this morning. Number one, love bears all things. Love bears all things. The word bears comes from the original meaning to cover something. To cover something. In other words, to protect it or to keep by covering. It's a preservation reality to it. It's covering with silence or covering to conceal. 
The word is stege in the original. It comes from stego. In other words, you cover because of love. Or the act of love, i.e. the act of exercising even those things that we have already learned about in verses 4, 5, and 6, that very act is a covering. It's a bringing a protection from other potential sinful elements. In other words, covering because it protects me when I act in love, it protects me from sinning against them because they've sinned against me. It protects, it covers what could come because I'm exercising love. In other words, the love of God expressed in us as Christians, as we walk by the Spirit, as we follow the commands of God here, even in 1 Corinthians, we are following the Spirit of God. That love that is a God-expressed love is to be the kind of love that protects. It's a love that protects and it protects by covering. And we don't want to think by when we talk about covering as if it's some kind of hiding. In other words, as if we're hiding something knowingly from others simply because we don't we think that's a loving act to hide those things. No, that's deception. That's not right. It's hidden meaning it's as if it's it's not dealt with. We just sweep it under if you will. That's not what the word cover means. The word cover really is more so what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8, Peter said that love covers a multitude of sins. It's a different word. They're translated cover, but it's the same idea. It's the same thought. He doesn't say love hides a multitude of sins. Love just pushes them aside and doesn't deal with those kinds of things. No, love covers them. Love covers in such a way whereby it protects from more sin taking place, both in myself and from others. Love covers. That's precisely the meaning that the Apostle Paul means here, just like Peter said. Love bears all things. Love bears all things. You may have in your margins of your Bible where you have verses there that that show that are similar verses. Don't always trust that. They're not always similar by way of the meaning of the author. They might be similar by way of words used in the English, but not necessarily by intended contextual meaning of the author. So you need to be careful with that. But you might notice under that, you might have a little asterisk by the word bears. You might have a little number or something like that. And you go down to that verse in that meaning, it shows the word cover. Why? Because that's what that word is meaning. Of bears, of covers. In other words, love protects. Love that bears is a redemptive love. It's redemptive of other people by taking on their issue. How? It doesn't broadcast it. It doesn't broadcast the news. It doesn't tell other people. It doesn't go around gossiping to other people, sinfully gossiping to other people about what somebody did to them. Nor nor does it sinfully retaliate against them. In other words, it goes the second mile to protect another in their own reputation. 
we might even say it this way, love never sinfully drags into the light the faults and mistakes of others. Let me say that again. Love never drags sinfully into the light the faults and mistakes of others. I say it that way to be very careful because sometimes we think, we convince ourselves that when we're going to seek counsel from someone of how to deal with an issue, that we're gossiping about the issue. Gossip and the motivation behind it is a heart issue. You know whether you're gossiping about the issue, but if you're going to seek counsel in order to how to deal with the issue, and that circle is kept small so that you receive counsel either from leadership or something else, you're not gossiping about the issue. You're seeking counsel of how to deal with the issue. God tells us to do that. We need to go do that, but that's not gossip. There is gossip. There is gossip. Hey, somebody did this against me. Hey, listen, I'll go around and tell other people in the church so that they'll think of that person poorly as well. That's gossip and that's sinful. But seeking counsel of how to deal with some issue in a God-honoring way, that's not gossip. That's trying to be wise. There's wisdom in that. So love would rather than deal with things, deal with the issue in a, in a God-honoring, sometimes a quiet way. I use that word quietly only to say not to broadcast in a large fashion. Quietly deal with the issue and if possible, even overlook it. So the grace of a man to overlook an offense, Proverbs tells us. Overlook doesn't mean we, we don't notice it. It's just that we treat it as no account. We overlook it with grace. Yep. That means that love can bear any insult. Love can bear any injury. Love can bear any disappointment. Now think about that. There are two, I think, from the top of my head, two immediate applications to that for us. Because love bears all things, that means that love doesn't nitpick one another. Nitpick, that's a colloquial term we like to use with one another. It just means almost this sense of which nagging, continuing to go after it and over it and over it and over it. Nitpicking, it doesn't point out every little flaw. It doesn't notice every little detail that, that isn't exactly right or assumptively accuse the ones we are to love. That's nitpicking. When we assume in an accusatory way about the motives of other people and point the finger at them and say, this is who you are, when in fact we can never know how they are in their own heart, that's not love. So one of the implications of loving in a bearing way, bears all things, is not to nitpick, not to be nagging in that kind of way. And secondly, because of that, Love doesn't criticize, especially in public. Love doesn't criticize, especially in public. You who are married could certainly, each one of us, take that to heart when we're talking about our spouses. Sometimes we inadvertently and sinfully publicize things that are critical in public, and we should not. Maybe... Maybe that was at the forefront of the Apostle Paul's mind 
when he wrote that we have it in our scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent in the smallest of things as law courts? Do you not know that you shall judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if then you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? Do you go to pagans to decide your small issues because you're suing one another? Do you go, you go to the pagans to decide those things rather than simply to one another to make it right? Paul said, I say this to your shame. Is there not one among you, one wise man who's able to decide between his brethren? Instead, brother goes to the law, brother against brother, before unbelievers. He says, you do that, you're already defeated. You're already, why not rather just be defrauded? Why not just rather say whatever, because for the sake of Christ, I'll take your defrauding of me, because I'm not going to go to the pagans to decide between us. I'll just leave it with the Lord. You see, love doesn't do its airing of wrongs for the entire world to see. You know what love does? Love redeems. Love redeems. Takes pain upon itself. Same way Christ covered our sin, taking the pain upon Himself. I was reading a story recently. It was during the 1600s. Oliver Cromwell was ruling. And a soldier was condemned to die by execution. Going to be hung at the gallows. And the time of his death was going to come by the ringing of the bell at curfew. Well, at the time he was engaged to a young, beautiful woman. And the girl pleaded with the judge. She was in tears, pleading with Cromwell to spare his life. Of course, all of it was in vain. All the preparations were made for the execution of this young man. The city was waiting the ringing of the bell. And the sexton who was to ring the bell, he was old, he was mostly deaf, grabbed the rope and began to tug on the rope as he had for years. And he pulled it and pulled it and pulled it. But because he was deaf, he didn't know that no sound was coming out. Why? Because the young girl had climbed up into the top of the belfry, reached out, caught, and held the tongue of the huge bell in her hand. As the bell was slamming back and forth, she was being bounced and smashed against the side. But the bell was silent. Over time, he stops dragging the rope, thinking the bell has swung She in some way descends down, wounded and bleeding. Cromwell is waiting. Everybody's waiting at the place of execution for the bell to ring. It doesn't happen. And the girl arrives and tells the story, and a poet recorded it. Said this, quote, At his feet she told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn, her sweet young face still haggard with the anguish it had worn, touched his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light, 
Go, your lover lives, said Cromwell. Curfew, curfew will not ring tonight. Unquote. See, that's redemptive love. That's redemptive love. Here was somebody who was willing to go where the love of Christ goes for us. Christ threw Himself on the cross to cover our sin. He took our punishment. That's the love that bears all things. It's always the love that sympathizes with and suffers for someone else's sin if it can. Love bears all things. Number two, love believes all things. Love believes all things. Again, Paul is not saying that whatever be done or whatever be said, that is to be taken as absolute truth. Not what Paul's saying. True love cannot believe what is not true. That would not be love, right? If we believe what is not true, that's not loving. So here's the idea that biblical love is not immediately suspicious. Biblical love is not immediately suspicious. It is not immediately distrustful. In other words, it is not that love has some kind of indiscriminate trust. In other words, that it just trusts everything gullibly, that it takes everything as if it is true. But rather, love is its first response in biblical love is to believe. Its first response is to believe, to trust. We could even say it this way, love is always ready to allow for extenuating circumstances. Love is always ready to allow for extenuating circumstances. It stands ready to give the other person the benefit of the doubt or believe the best of others. That's what love does. Biblical love is willing to give the benefit of the doubt or believe the best about others. That's not so simple for some of us, is it? I would say it's not simple for any of us. Because as adults, and particularly as adults, we've developed a certain distrust of people, a distrust of institutions, a distrust of all kinds of things because of the negative experiences we've had in life. We've all heard stories, we've all read stories, we've all seen news stories about some person who stopped to help someone else alongside the road and somehow got themselves in trouble because of that. They were hurt or injured or robbed. In fact, in our society, we counted a virtue to not be gullible. Why? Because gullible people are easily duped. Right? It's easy to be taken advantage of if you're gullible. But according to this principle of love here, love believes all things. According to this principle, there are worse things than gullibility. There's worse things in life than being considered gullible. You know what it is? Suspicion and mistrust. That's worse. At least in the eyes of God. Why? Because love believes you know what that means? That means that love says, this is what biblical love says, when we're exercising 
principles through four and six, love says, I choose to give you the benefit of the doubt in any issue that's between us, as long as there's reason to do so. I choose to give the benefit of the doubt between any individual and anything, as long as there's founded reason to do so. You see, sadly, at times we treat one another in nearly the opposite way. Individual realities come together and we say, you're guilty until you can prove yourself innocent to me. But love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love believes all things. That means love doesn't go through life cynical. It means when we're cynical, we've got to fight that because love doesn't go through life cynical. Love doesn't go through life suspicious or fearful of everybody and everything. It doesn't do that. Love always believes the best. So Paul says, verse 7, love covers, right? Love bears all things. It throws a blanket of silence over the weaknesses of others. Takes the pains of others on itself. And then it believes the best about them. Three, love hopes all things. Love hopes all things. Here's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers. Listen, Corinthians, there are times in life when you're going to face situations between one another. There are times in life in the interpersonal relationships within the church and outside the church when you're going to have difficulties that your faith is challenged to the nth degree. Your faith is challenged. It's being stretched to that point that you think your faith is going to break. And sometimes in life... Someone is going to challenge that. It's going to come to that. It's going to pull that, stretch that. And you would gladly give the benefit of the doubt to them. You're saying in your heart, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but but there's none to give. They've exhausted all that benefit of the doubt. You search for an area of silver lining. You look at the situation But the storm of the situation is so black, it is so bleak, it seems like there's no silver lining at all in it. And so love comes along, and love has a positive forward look. That's what Paul's saying. Love bears all things, believes all things, and love has a positive forward look. It hopes all things. See, Paul's not saying, look, have an unreasoning optimism have an optimism that just just is devoid of any kind of thinking he's not saying look at just just forget reality not what he's saying he's not using the old adage that was given to us years ago think positive and positive things will happen that foolish nation notion of that no he's not saying that he's suggesting that love refuses to take failure as the final answer Love refuses to take some sin against us as if that's the final nail in the coffin for that person, no matter who we're dealing with. That's not the final deal. Love never gives up on people. All of us have unsaved family members and friends 
that challenge us to no end. I have relatives, both close and far, in my family that are not saved, and it challenges me. Far too often, I think, they're beyond hope. They're beyond any kind of possibility. My wife and I talk about this often, and my wife says to me on a regular basis, listen, it's not the last chapter yet. Why? Because of love. Because of love. See, the reason we as believers can have that kind of attitude is that God is in the business of taking human stones and turning them into godly gems. That's what God does. And He can do it with you. He can do it with our children. He can do it with our family members. Because God makes the impossible possible. Of course, hoping all things doesn't mean that we just sit back and just watch God do everything. We don't get involved. That's not what it's saying. Right? Just because we have this love hopes all things, so I'll just sit back and let go and let God know. It means that we get actively involved in the process. Being actively involved in the process, God molds us and others and the whole future of that dynamic according to His perfect plan, not ours. So love hopes and expects the best. Love never gives up on others. Remains faithful to them in spite of all their weaknesses, in spite of all their shortcomings, in spite of all their idiosyncrasies and ways in which in the past or potentially even in the future they may come against you and hurt you. Love just continues to hope. And then lastly, Paul says, love endures all things. Love endures all things. <laughs> I love this because when love bears and, and it has believed and, and it has hoped and it's still disappointed, what's love do? It continues to love anyway because love endures. I love this. The word is a, it's a military term. It, it, it means to hold a position at all cost. Hold a position at all cost, even unto death. In other words, the battle might be lost, the skirmish might be lost, but you as a soldier, you keep on fighting to the very end. You stand your ground. You continue loving. You let love be how you live. The world doesn't do that. But we are called to do that. Think about the picture that Paul is drawing here. It's like there's, a, there's an armed soldier surrounded by superior forces... He and his friends are being attacked. They're slowly being overwhelmed on every side. All of his colleagues are dropping like flies because of the attacks of the the one coming. And all through the noise, all through the battle, all through the skirmish, the smoke clears and his ears are open and all he hears is, listen, stand your ground, don't stop. Even if you have to die, die well. 
That's what the word means. Love continues to hold to people it loves. Love perseveres. Never gives up on anyone. You say, but they'll never change. How many times I've heard that? They'll never change. They usually say, aren't you, aren't you glad God didn't say that about you? You'd never change, and yet here you are, changed. Love won't stop loving, even in the face of rejection. Certainly love takes action to shake, shake up an intolerable situation. Love steps in. But love looks beyond the present to the hope of what might be in the future. So even when hope grows thin, even when all hope seems lost, love endures. Love endures. It endures the deep hurt that comes and seems so final. Love continues to endure. That's why Paul can say right after that, love never fails. Love never fails. <laughs> we love like God loves. It always accomplishes what God desires. See, the Corinthian church, they had a massive love problem. That's not what God wanted. It's not how God wanted it. He wants His church to be characterized by love. God wants us as His people to be a community of love. People should describe us. You go to this church, go to Fellowship Bible Church. That's a place where people just love each other. Um, they're not perfect people. They have trouble. They, they stomp on each other sometimes. They, they sin heinously sometimes against one another. But you know what? They love. They love. Why? Because they're confronting each other with sin issues. They're dealing with those issues, not in a, in a gossipy kind of way, but in a loving kind of way. They're going to one another patiently. They're enduring they love the truth. They want to stand with the truth. In fact, they rejoice with the truth. You go to that church because they love. Jesus said they will know that you are my disciples by your love. God wants to see love in operation. Far too often, we Christians are opposite of what 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says, we're opposite of those things. The kind of love that the Apostle Paul is describing is the kind of love that has its source in God. When we look at each of those phrases, it becomes obvious that we're defining a lifestyle that's really beyond human reach. No one could actually do this. Not in a human way. It's absolutely impossible unless we abide in Christ. Unless we submit ourselves to the will of the Spirit, to the will of the Father through the power of the Spirit to live this supernatural love in and through us, it will never happen. 
Somebody says, how am I going to be patient like that? How am I going to be kind like that? Um, I find my heart being jealous. I find my heart bragging and being arrogant about myself. Sometimes and very often I find myself acting in rude ways. I'm unbecoming. I seek my own. Seems like I don't love the truth by the way I live. How can I do that? Well, I'll tell you how to do that. Follow the Spirit. Absorb yourself in the Word of God. Saturate yourself such in the Word of God that you know the Word of God and you, when those moments come, walk by the Word of God. Because if you have the Spirit in you, you can. It's not a I can't or I'm tired to do it. It's will I do it? Will I follow you, Lord? This is what we see in our communion time. This love, this love that we see expressed is God's love because God is love. We certainly weren't accepting him when he sacrificed himself. We were rejecting him. God loved even though we were rejecting. And the only way to know his love and to live his love is to have his love. And his love is his son, Jesus Christ. And so we must practice it. Notice the Apostle Paul says in verse 13 of this chapter, but now abide faith, hope, and love. Faith in Christ, we hope for the future. We have love. And Paul says the greatest of these is love. Nobody can see your faith. Nobody can see your love or see your hope, but they certainly can see your love, which proves your hope and faith. So pursue love, he says, chapter 14, pursue love. So if we're to love our enemies, then we have to put all 15 of these characteristics in action. And the world will look at us and they'll say what God wants them to say. They must be followers of my son, Jesus Christ. They must be followers of Christ. Why? Because look how they love one another. Look how they love each other. Next time, we get back into Luke chapter 6. And everybody said, Amen to that. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all of this. Thank you for these principles. Lord, certainly we haven't exhausted the depth of what you have here for us. But Lord, what we have learned, may it be on our hearts and minds. May we practice it. Not tomorrow, but today. May it become the habit of our life, the outworking of our life, whereby we love one another in these ways. Lord, your word tells us that you desire obedience more than sacrifice. We can come before you, we can do all kinds of things that seem like, oh, we're living for you, and yet be unloving. So sinful. So Lord, use these truths in our heart. Thank you for the Spirit's power to be able to live by them. May we submit to them as submitting to you so that you might be glorified and seen in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.